Hey guys, we're so glad you're tuning into the Apex Students Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Apex Students, and we pray that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus. Anybody in the room basically obsessed with music, like at all times, you have an earbud in? Anyone? Yes, I see many hands going up. Um, so like when you're doing homework, when you're eating dinner, when you're playing video games, when you're trying to sleep, that kind of thing. Music is a, a big part of many of your lives. And there's a lot of people like that, some of you, in this very room. I used to listen to music constantly. So like I would, I had a long bus ride. So this was like when I get a lot of my music listening into and I would put my headphones on. Now, most of you put your headphones in but there was a time when you put your headphones on, Google it, that you see some pictures back in my day. So I would uh, bring my CD player and my lyric book in the front of the CD. I'm, I get to now make references about things that you've never heard of, and that's, that is a crazy thing. So I'd read along with my songs and learn the lyrics to my CD player. Now, uh, I am almost exclusively listening to podcasts now. So I'm, I'm buying less CDs and even Spotify, like I have it and I use it sometimes, but mostly I'm listening to podcasts and uh, I used to make fun of talk radio and then I fell in love with podcasts and found out, oh, it's the same thing. <laughs> it's what my, the old people were doing when I was younger and now I'm doing it. So um, I think one reason that I don't listen to as much music anymore is that my music taste has changed. It's evolved a lot over my life. Um, I, I would rather listen to the CD that I've listened to a million times than put on the radio and hear the same 10 songs over and over again when I only actually like one of them. Um, and, and now that I'm older, my music taste is even narrowed. Like that was how it used to be, but I'm even more, like there are very few songs coming out these days that I'm enjoying, but I always can go to the adult standards which is what they call music made in the 40s and 50s. And that's what I found out because Spotify told me that, that my, was my top genre, was adult standard. And um, yes, yeah, it's pretty dumb. So adult standards, Dave Matthews Band, Reliant K. Like that's most of my listening experience these days. Uh, but you don't care about any of those things because you don't know them. I will stick to my podcasts mostly. Like the Apex Students podcast. What up, Boardman, Oregon? Thank you for listening. All right, in church, we spent a lot of time with music. We spent a lot of time doing music in church, and uh, we have a band, and they do their songs, and it takes up a good chunk of our time. So if you are new to church, and you don't know what that's about, or you just never quite learned what that's about, it, you might have wondered why we do that. Why do we spend so much time with music in church? And uh, tonight, we're going to start a series called Behind the Lyrics. And in this series, we're going to take a closer look at worship songs. We're going to take a closer look at the songs that we are singing already. And my goal is that you would walk away with the tools to engage in worship with any song. So like, we're going to be talking about specific songs, but I, I'm hoping to give you tools to use on any song to engage in the music part of worship. That's my goal through our series. And the bottom line through this whole series, the reason that we're spending time looking closely behind the lyrics is because your favorite worship song has more to say. A little housekeeping before we go any further. Um, you may notice that I'm about to preach. <laughs> so um, we're switching some things up during this series. What we're going to do is we're going to look closely at three worship songs. Not the whole thing. We're going to pick some things out of, of three different worship songs. We're going to go into small groups to ask some questions about them, discuss them, see if you guys have any questions about particular songs. Um, and then we're going to come back together here to worship to those same three songs. That is our goal. We're, we're, we're flipping the whole service around so that we can really focus on Worship. Now, the same layout every week can get boring anyway, so here's a little bit of excitement. 
So before we look at particular songs, um, let's talk about worship and why worship is an important part of following Jesus. We've talked about a man named Paul before. He mentored churches through letters, and um, he was writing a letter to the church in the city of Colossae, and they had questions about worship. They were asking him, what is this whole worship thing about? So he gives them an explanation in Colossians 3.16. He says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. I should point out, there's a period in this verse here uh, in the New Living Translation. The Greek wouldn't put that period there. So these, those two sentences are kind of all the same thought in the original. So with that in mind, I see three things that Paul is teaching about worship. Three quick things. One is wisdom. And he's saying we learn we, we learn wisdom through worship. We learn about God through the worship that we sing. We are disciple. We've talked about that word, right? We're getting closer to Jesus through the songs that we sing. It's one of the biggest ways we're discipled. This is a spiritual thing as well. We are, we're not just singing words off of a screen. This is a, a spiritual thing that happens within us to help us connect to God and get closer to Jesus. And, uh, it's more than just words on a screen. And the third is thankfulness. Gratitude is the whole deal with Worship, like all of our worship should have this thankfulness, this gratitude thing going through it at all times. We're expressing, when we're worshiping God through music, we're expressing our gratitude and thankfulness for who God is, for what he's done for us, and for what he's done in the past. So those three things will kind of guide our conversation and guide the reason that this is important. To study worship is important. And if it's important that we do worship, if we don't worship, we're missing out on some things right? If we miss this opportunity, we're missing out on those things. I, I don't want you to let the, the worship time pass you by. I don't want you to sit there and, and get distracted or just stare off. I want you to have this full, in all its fullness, experience God in all his fullness while singing through worship. You could miss the wisdom. You could miss that spiritual connection with God. You could miss his presence. And that's why this is important. I don't want you missing out on that. We worship here every week. If you go to Harvest or any other church, probably on a Sunday morning, we spend a lot of time in music. So I don't want you to miss this opportunity. And that's why we're looking behind the lyrics, because your favorite worship song has more to say. So we're talking about three songs tonight. First of all, God of Revival. And you might know the, the lyrics, you might know the, the title, or you might not. Some of the lyrics might sound familiar and they might not, and that's fine. Either way, we're gonna talk about them. Uh, first of all, God of Revival. We're just gonna talk about the pre-chorus and the chorus to this song. And if you're not a musical person, that doesn't mean anything to you, that's fine. These are the parts that get repeated most. Um, many worship, this is a tool. This is a, a, a principle that's gonna be through this whole series. Many worship songs quote scripture or reference scripture, or are trying to remind you of scripture. So this pre-chorus has a couple of those, those moments in it. Because there's no prison wall you can't break through. No mountain you can't move. All things are possible. There's no broken body you can't raise. No soul that you can't save. All things are possible. So let's look line by line. And we're looking for biblical references. First of all, because there's no prison wall you can't Breakthrough. Now, there are prison wall illustrations all through worship music and all through, we're going to see in many songs, we, we talk about prison walls being broken, chains being broken, and there's a metaphorical aspect about how God sets us free from the prisons that we find ourselves in, that he breaks chains, he sets us free from things like pain and loneliness and addiction, he sets us free from those prisons. There's also a scriptural reference from like a historical event 
that we're also supposed to remember when we sing this. And Paul and Silas, same Paul that we were talking about who wrote letters to churches, uh, they were traveling, they were talking about Jesus, and it got them into trouble because people didn't want them to talk about Jesus. So they were getting themselves into trouble, and they were in jail. So one midnight, they're in jail, and they're singing worship. They're, they're singing music to God. And then in Acts 16, it tells us what happens. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. This is not the first time God will, will break down a literal prison wall. But this is just one example that when we sing this, we're supposed to be reminded of what God did for Paul and Silas. And we're supposed to be reminded of what he does in our lives, where he breaks us free from chains and prisons, and have faith that he can do that same thing for us. No mountain you can't move, all things are possible. In Jesus's time, the most insane thing that they could imagine was a mountain moving. Now that kind of misses us because we can kind of do this. <laughs> like we have dynamite and excavation equipment that they didn't have. So like they couldn't imagine a way to move a mountain. We kind of do that. But at the time it was the craziest thing they could think of. And it was often used as a symbol for the impossible. Now, Jesus was a guy who was kind of known for doing the impossible. Think of like the phrase if when we say, if pigs fly or when pigs fly, that, that, that'll happen when pigs fly. And that's the same way they would use this phrase. Yeah, that'll happen when a mountain moves. And Jesus used this a bunch of times as well. And in, uh, he's quoted in Matthew 17. You may know this one. You don't have enough faith. He was talking to a crowd. If I tell you the truth, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. He's saying faith, I don't know if you've ever seen a mustard seed. I saw one in the international food section of Wegmans. Check it out. They are tiny little guys. <laughs> and it was probably the smallest seed they had available to them in Jesus's time. And Jesus said, if you even had this much faith, you could, move, you could do the impossible or I could do the impossible through you is the principle that we're, we're walking away with here. So as we sing these words, we're supposed to remember the power of God and that nothing is impossible with his power through our faith. The next line says, there's no broken body you can't raise. So Jesus was good for this kind of thing, for like raising broken bodies. He did a lot of healing through, through his ministry, healing from disease and injury and demon possession. He was doing a lot of healing. And four times, he actually rose someone from death to life. Can you give me those four times? This is a fun game. Well, we'll see if it's fun. If, if I, <laughs> you tell me if it was fun. Four times, he raised a dead person back to life. Can you give me one? Lazarus, Lazarus. yes. Three more. Yes, the um, Jairus' daughter. Yes, two more. Him? Self, correct. Do, anyone know that one? Because I couldn't remember this one. Great job. Wait, if you do, do it. No, he didn't die. Okay. I don't think that, that's my understanding. And there's probably some scholars that say he did. Right, right, right. It goes back and forth. But the one I'm thinking of is a widow's son. Sorry. In, in the city of Nain, there was a widow who had a son who was dead. Four times, Jesus actually raised someone from actual death to actual life. So this song is supposed to remind us that he has the power over death. He heals. Our God heals. Nothing is impossible for him. And that brings us to the last line. Like he heals us in these ways from death to life and a spiritual death to spiritual life as well. There's no soul that you can't save. And this is what Jesus does for us, right? This is like the basic salvation message. 
God loves, God is love. And he loved us so much that even though our sin separated us from him, he couldn't leave it that way. And he sent his son to die for us. And then we just decide to put our faith in him. And then his Holy Spirit lives with us. That's alive in five if you were paying close attention. But it's also the, the message of Jesus is there is no one too far gone. There is no soul that he can't save. Everything is possible with Jesus. And these are the things we're supposed to remember while we're singing these songs. These are the thoughts that come into our mind as we are worshiping. And these are the things we meditate on as we're singing to Jesus. Let's go to the chorus. I only want to cover one word in the chorus, but I'll read the whole thing. The darkest night. You can light it up. You can light it up. Oh God of revival. Let hope arise. Death is overcome. We just talked about that. You've already won. Oh God of revival. God of revival. So what is revival? What does that mean? I think it's important that we know. Uh, when I hear the word revival, I think of two things. Um, two things that come to mind, they're very different. First is revivals in church history. <laughs> These are historical events where groups of people, God moved in a huge way and a lot of people came to him. Let me give you a little bit of a list. There are many, many of them. Here's a, a list of some three big ones. In the 1700s, the Great Awakening. You may have heard of the Great Awakening. This was like pre-revolutionary war colonists in the, in the America. And there were under a million people that lived here. Like there are more than that in many cities but now. But at the time there was less than a million people. I think, did I say more? I said under. Under a million people at the time. And uh, about, eight, this is crazy, 900,000 people in the colonies. And 80% of them had heard the preacher, George Whitfield, speak in person. That's probably not true of any preacher today, including the internet. <laughs> but at the time, 80% of the colonists had heard. He was like, he's known as like America's first celebrity. He was crazy popular. And the, the reason was, I mean, he was a great orator and a preacher. Like he had, he, he had that blessing on him, those gifts, but people were hungry for God's word. That's why it's called the Great Awakening. Lots of people came to Jesus through the Great Awakening. In the early 1800s, they had the Second Great Awakening, very cleverly named. And this is by the end of 1840, it was kind of the ending. And the number of evangelical church goers in the, U, in the, in the United States at the time almost doubled. They almost doubled the amount of evangelical church going people. 1906, one more, is the Azusa Street Revival. Azusa Street in California. And this one was a specifically Pentecostal revival. A revival. So if you like thought, hmm, my church looks very different than the Catholic church my friend goes to. That's because we're different kinds of churches. Catholic church, we are a Pentecostal church. And this movement in 1906 was a big Pentecostal revival. And our denomination, the Assemblies of God, kind of has its roots in this revival. So little history lesson. I hope somebody found that interesting. But those are some of the historical revivals throughout history. God of revival. One way that I think of revival is historical things. I think of them. The second thing is more simple, and it's just how God revives us. I just kind of began to talk about it, how God revives us from death to life. He breathes his life back into us. I have a verse I'd like to reference uh, in Ezekiel. I think it's so beautiful. And I will give you a new heart. We see this like rebirthing stuff in the, in the New Testament as well, but I really like this one. We, we, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Other versions say uh, a heart of flesh. So revival, revival in us is Jesus coming in with a scalpel and doing surgery on us and taking out that old 
stubborn stone heart that we used to have and putting in a heart of flesh, putting in new life, a new spirit. That's what revival is all about. And these are some of the things that you are supposed to be meditating on that that I hope will come to mind as you're worshiping to these songs. We went pretty deep with that one. We're going to move a little more quickly through the second two. Um, Take Me Back. This is one of my, my favorite songs, and it's very new, and it's one of my favorite new songs. Um, we're just going to talk about the chorus for this one. Two ideas from the chorus. Here is that chorus. Oh, when the storm is out on the ocean and the violent wind gets to blowing, oh, take me back, back, all the way back. Take me back to my first love. Let's start with the storm. This storm, uh, again, there's like this abstract way to look at it, this metaphorical way for me that we go through storms all the time. And even in the storms where it doesn't look like it's going to turn out well, it looks like I'm pretty much alone to deal with this storm by myself. God is with us in those storms. And when we sing this song, I hope that you think God is with me in my storms. When the violent wind gets to blowing, you are with me in that storm. We can always count on him to be there. There's also a a, a historical event that I hope might come to mind. And this is a classic Sunday school Bible story. Many of you might know. And uh, this is Jesus and the disciples sailing in a boat and they encounter a storm, like an actual storm that was bad enough that they felt threatened for their lives. They thought they were going to die. And the disciples are like, holy cow, we're in trouble. Oh, wait, we have the son of God with us. Double oh, wait, he's sleeping. (laughs) So they wake up Jesus and say, Jesus, Jesus, what do we do here? We're in trouble. And he's like, he, he rebukes them a little bit. So this is what he says. This is Matthew 8. Uh, Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves. And suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man? They asked. Even the winds and waves obey him. So in this passage, we see Everything bows before Jesus. Even the wind and waves fall under Jesus's authority. He has the power to overcome every pain, every threat to my life. I can trust him to take care of me. And not that I'll never experience a storm. I promise you will. But Jesus, I I think Jesus was rebuking them, not because they didn't have enough faith to stop the storm themselves. He wasn't saying like, why didn't you guys just tell the storm to shut up? Maybe. I like to read it. He was saying, guys, you thought a little storm was going to take us out? You thought I'd let a little storm take, take you out? This is what I think God is saying to us. Have faith that even though there is a storm, I'm still with you. Even though there is something difficult in your life, I'm going through it with you. You have me to turn to. And the storm isn't always going to magically disappear overnight. But God is with you in the storm. And these are the things that we should think of while we're worshiping and singing these lyrics. So we can finish up the course with one more idea. My first love. Oh, take me back, all the way back to my first love. Now the Bible says a lot of things about love. God is love. We're called to love God, love each other, love ourselves. Lots of stuff in there about love. The fruit of the spirit, you'll see love prominently in there. But our first love is a little more specific. This is something that uh, kind of is talking about a specific thing. So we see here, this is the book of Revelation, which can be a scary place to go. Uh, Revelation 2.4 says, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. And other translations will say your first love. You have forgotten your first love. 
And this is a rebuke to the church in Ephesus. And in fact, before this, he says all the great things they're doing. <laughs> he says like, you're doing, you are distracted by really awesome things. And I think that's for us too. We get distracted by good things and bad things, but don't be distracted from my first love. So we get distracted by unrighteous things like pride, selfishness, lust, dishonesty, money. We, we love to let these things take us into a bad place and be distracted from God with those things. And we can get distracted by good things like the church in Ephesus. We can get distracted by a pursuit of righteousness. I can be distracted by trying to do ministry really well. I can be distracted by tradition or family, things that aren't necessarily bad. But if they're distracting me from my first love, which is the love of Jesus and the love of others, they got to go. So this song is saying, God, help me. Take me back to that first love. I'm distracted and, and the storm is distracting me. So take me back, all the way back to my first love, which is you. One more song. Let's talk about Graves in the Gardens. Another one of my new favorite songs. I'm loving this one. Um, we're just going to talk about the bridge here to illustrate specifically again, the relationship between worship lyrics and scripture. You're going to love this. I hope. Um, because these people writing these songs, they're not just like making stuff up. A lot of times it's a team of people and they're caring for a specific church and they're writing this song for their church, for the people that need a message in a particular time. And they have open Bibles and they're reading scripture and saying, man, this would be a beautiful lyric for us to sing over our people. And so instead of going into depth for each scriptural reference here, I'm going to fly through them. If you want to take a picture or just Google the lyrics later, this is a really cool uh, example of what happens. And they're both bridges of graves in the gardens. It says, you turn mourning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. So let's check the Bible for these lyrics. Um, you turn mourning to dancing. We're going to see that in Psalm 30, uh, verse 11. And what's cool about the Psalms is they were written as songs. Like this is, people would sing these in their churches. They would sing these on their way to church. So uh, people writing songs will often look to these chapters for inspiration in their music. You give beauty for ashes. This is in Isaiah 61, three. You turn shame into glory. You'll find that in Zeph Zephaniah, who's a prophet, 319. You turn graves into gardens. This one's beautiful. It's a little abstract. First Corinthians 15, 20. It talks about how Jesus we talked about him being raised from the dead, right? So he turned his grave and Jesus is now the first of a huge harvest. That's what that, that first Corinthians verse says. He's the first of a huge harvest of people going from death to life. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. Now this one is not just a phrase from scripture that you'll see like in Zephaniah or Isaiah, but this is a whole chapter in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37, where God gives a vision to the prophet Ezekiel. And it's really cool. He's demonstrating his power through this vision. And he is, he goes, he takes Ezekiel in this vision to this, this valley. And there's all over the valley, there are scattered human remains, like actual bones in this valley. And God raises these bones up and they start connecting themselves into skeletons as Ezekiel's watching. And then on these skeletons come muscles and flesh. And now there are these bodies standing there. And God says, Ezekiel, I've given you this power, this authority to breathe life into this valley of dry bones. And so Ezekiel does that with a breath of life from God. He breathes into them and there are people standing in this valley, enough people big enough to look like an army. It's such a beautiful moment in scripture and a little spooky 
Um, I will tell you, this did come up in the Sunday School Stories to Tell in the Dark series. It didn't quite make the cut, but it is a spooky one if you'd like to read Ezekiel 37. U-turn seas into highways. You may be familiar with this one. It's another, another reference to a, uh, an event, not just like a, a phrase in scripture. Exodus 14 is where Moses parts the Red Sea for the Israelites to walk through on dry land because they're running from an army. So they run through the, the, the dry land on the Red Sea. And when they get on the other side, God brings back the ocean so that the, the Egyptian army is swallowed up into the ocean and can't pursue the Israelites anymore. It's about God's provision, about his safety, and about how he takes care of us. This is one you'll see all over all kinds of songs about uh, parting the waters. You're the only one who can. Now, this is not direct words, but it's, um, it's a reference to the Shema, which is in Deuteronomy three, uh, 6, 4. And this talks about how our God is the one true God. He's the only God. The only one who can is our God. So when you're singing this song, when you're, when you're singing through these words, make these connections. And, and maybe you don't always have the, the, the address, you know? You might say, I don't know where beauty to ashes is. I don't know where shame to glory is. And that's okay. But think about them in their, in their context for you. Like, what does it mean to turn shame into glory? What does it mean to give beauty for ashes? What does it mean for God to take a grave and turn it into a garden? I encourage you to look these ones up as well because they're a really great example of God speaking. Speaking scripture and people using it into making their songs, so... I'd like to reiterate something about this whole series about behind the lyrics. We're going to be talking about specific songs and, and, you know, three songs a week and we'll worship to them. But what I want you to do is pick up the tools to do this to any song. You're going to see prison shaking. You're going to see freedom stuff. You're going to see parting the Red Sea stuff, parting seas, uh, calming storms. You're going to see all of that stuff through all kinds of songs. But I want you to have the tools to engage with the words you're singing no matter what the song, to rep- recognize scriptural things in the songs you're singing, no matter what the song is. I want you to notice when a song is directing you to an emotional moment. I want you to understand the vocabulary that these songs are talking about, words like holy and hallelujah, which we'll talk about in, in the few coming weeks. But I want you to have the tools to worship through music. If you've heard a song a million times, or if it's brand new to you, you've never heard it, for at Apex or at Harvest or at the Spirit Tour or Convention, anywhere you have the tools to worship through music, a little service, a big service, or home alone in your bedroom. It shouldn't matter where you are, what the song is, because I want you to have the tools to engage in worship. We're digging deeper behind the lyrics because your favorite worship song has more to say. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for the way that you teach us, for the way that you... um, have continued to teach us the way you continue to reveal your word through people that are writing songs today that we're worshiping to. Thank you that you guide us in our worship. Thank you that you give us wisdom in our worship, that you have a spiritual connection with us in our worship, and that we have this access to your presence. God, that we have this access to who you are and to what you're, you're doing and what you're speaking to us. So Father, thank you We have this this attitude of thankfulness, gratitude for you, for who you are and for what you're doing. And that's when we walk into worship, those are the things we're thinking about. So God, I pray that we're picking up tools through this series to be able to worship and connect and engage with you through worship, through any song and in any service. We thank you for this time we have together. In your precious name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to this Apex Student Podcast. You can listen to more Apex teachings by subscribing on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 
We pray that this message has impacted your life and that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus.